Romans 14 this morning, after a week away. If you need a Bible, wave at Bud. Romans 14. Glad you had a chance to spend time with Pastor Luke last week. We've become good friends over the last few years. We send worship leaders and other servants up to help him out at Hutch, and, and I know that he was blessed to spend time with, with all y'all. The saints in Minneapolis asked me to send their love. They were, uh, well, Pastor Mike and Lynn especially were blessed that, that he had a week to recover from hip surgery. Uh, total hip replacement, which is a little sobering. He's only like six years older than I am, so the vision of Christmas future or something. <laughs> And, and you remember, guys, you remember Mike from our men's retreat. Mike's a Marine. And he said, hey, I'm having hip replacement. Can you come and can you fill in? I said, you're going to be there. He had a staph infection a few years ago. He literally taught with an IV tree next to him in the pulpit. This is, this is my Marine friend, Mike. And, and he was there tooling around in his walker. I said, why don't you teach? And, and I'll take a Sunday off. He says, no, no, no. Anyway, he, uh, he asked me to express his gratitude that, uh, that y'all freed me up so that he could really rest and recover last week. But Romans 14. You remember the movie Princess Bride? I get that that's an odd transition, but I know my audience. <laughs> we have Princess Bride fans here. We have some who have named children after characters in Princess Bride. And I'm not making that up. If, if you're not one of the Calvary Wichita Prince and Princess Bride fan club, 1987 movie, Rob Reiner made it with his friend Billy Crystal and this all-star cast of Robin Wright and Mandy Patinkin and Peter Falk and Andre the Giant and Carol Kane. And this is probably why I'm thinking of it because Carol Kane showed up in the season premiere of Star Trek Strange New Worlds and I don't know what she's doing there. <laughs> but, but that's my problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Princess Bride. One of the most quotable movies ever. Life isn't fair, it's just, you know, fairer than death. We'll never survive. You're just saying that because nobody ever has. Good night, Wesley. Sleep well. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. And my personal favorite, inconceivable? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. In our passage this morning in Romans 14, we come across a familiar word. Familiar to most Christ followers, at least. That word is stumble. As in, I don't want to stumble my brother or my sister or stop, stop, stop. You're stumbling me. We say things like that a lot. We use that word, forms of that word, stumble, stumbling. St we use it a lot. But in the immortal words of Inigo Montoya, I'm not sure it means what we think it means. I don't think Paul is using it the way that we sometimes think that he is. In fact, I'm sure he's not. So let's, let's dig into our passage. If you were with us two weeks ago, you remember we took the first half of chapter 14, first dozen verses or so. And you'll remember Paul was talking about Christian liberty. 
He's continuing this theme that he began in chapter 12, where he said, hey, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to worship God, which you should because he saved you, Paul says, then you have to stop thinking like the world and you have to start thinking like God. Stop thinking X, start thinking Y. And so for the last couple of chapters, it's been this series of trade-offs, this, this series of exchanges, not this, but rather that. And as we turn to chapter 14, he's following the same pattern. He says, not legalism, but love. Not legalism because we're not under the law, we're freed from the law. But, as Paul continues, he's also cautioning us to not put ourselves under a different law. Don't make liberty, he said two weeks ago, into a law unto itself. Don't get legalistic about your liberty. He warned us, some people are less mature. Some people are new to the faith or misguided in their faith and they don't fully understand the liberty that we have in Christ. Be gracious with them. For some, their conscience might demand that they, that they keep the Sabbath or they observe Old Testament dietary laws. Don't judge them, Paul said in verse 10. They're trying to please the Lord. They're misguided in how they're doing it, sure. But they're trying to do what they think is right. Give them points for that. Don't show contempt for them, still verse 10. Don't look down on them. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about secondary issues, stuff around the margins. Things we get to disagree about and still call each other brother and sister. Therefore, Paul summarizes, verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And there's our word for the day, stumbling, as in stumbling block. And Paul's going to use the word again before we're done with the chapter. Verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Paul's saying, look, we all know about the conversation that God had with Peter back in Acts chapter 10. We know that we're not under the law. We're no, we know that as believers, no food can be considered unclean to us anymore. But what if someone is confused about that? What if someone thinks that bacon is bad, that bacon is wrong, that bacon is sin? Well, that's sad for them, first of all. <laughs> but more importantly, Paul says, if they think it's wrong, then for them it's wrong. If I think something is sin and I do it, what am I doing? I'm rebelling. If I think something is sin and I, and I do it anyway, I'm choosing to not worship the Lord the way that I think he's called me to worship him. Which means, verse 15, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. If I have a brother in the church who's got an issue with bacon... He genuinely doesn't understand how God can bless in the New Testament something that he promised to curse in the Old Testament. It's not loving to invite him to a men's breakfast and push the issue. 
It's not loving to sit him down and try to force the issue, to, to, to serve him a plate with, with bacon on everything. There's bacon in the eggs, and there's bacon in the potatoes, and I snuck some bacon in your coffee. It's not loving to, to let him sit down with things that aren't bacon and then say, hey, hey, guys, come on, come with me, and then surround him. Everybody else at the table has nothing on their plate but a big heaping pile of bacon. How's it loving, Paul asks. How's it loving? We're talking about a soul that Jesus died for. Why would you do that? Why would you not rather help them grow in their faith, help them grow in their understanding, help them grow in grace? And how does showing them the opposite of grace accomplish those things? If that person is weak in their faith, all you're going to accomplish by doing that is tear down their faith. You're going to take a walk that's already shaky and you're going to make it shakier. You might destroy their relationship with God altogether. Verse 15 still. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Don't do that. Don't let them get the wrong idea. This, this is, this is what, we're, what Paul is talking about. Don't, don't let them look at your behavior, which you might mean all in fun, or you might be using a joking way to make a serious point, but don't give them a reason to think that we're a bunch of hypocrites who say that we love God and first chance we get trample all over his holiness. We know that's not true. We know that eating bacon has nothing to do with God's holiness. It's proof that he loves us, but it has nothing to do with his holiness. But they don't know that, not yet at least. And so having the argument, it's not worth it, Paul says. We're talking about breakfast. Don't turn it into a hill to die on. Verse 16, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's not why Jesus saved us. That's not what our lives are supposed to be about. Our lives are supposed to be about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and, bonus, approved by men. Better to win a friend than win an argument, Paul says. And trust that in time... In community, among mature believers, the secondary stuff will sort itself out. And even if it doesn't, even if the person never becomes a, 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 a red-blooded bacon eater, God is still going to ask us to prioritize loving above being right when it comes to secondary issues. He's always, God always asks us to prioritize others above self. That wrangles some of us. I'm entitled to a bacon cheeseburger. Jesus died so I could have milk and meat and pork in the same sandwich. No, he didn't. He really didn't. But that's the attitude of some Christians. It's my liberty. Jesus bought it, but it's mine now. Mind, 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 you can't take it from me. And maybe not. But shouldn't we be willing to set it aside, to lay it down? Yeah, in Christ we're freed from the law. Yes and amen, but we're not freed so we can be selfish. We're freed, listen, we're freed so we can be servants. We're freed 
Go back to the top of verse 12 so we can present ourselves a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service, New King James, which is our spiritual worship, every other translation. We're freed so that we can love God and love people always. Therefore, Paul says again, verse 19, therefore let us pursue the things and only the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Patrick's translation, don't mess. Don't play games. Don't be obnoxious. Don't poke people you know are sensitive about eating or drinking or listening or watching or wearing. Don't be oblivious to the effects that your behavior has on other people. Love better. Instead of fixating on what we're free to do, what we have a right to do, have a focus on what's better not to do, Paul says. Focus on what's better not to do for the sake of people around you. I'm, around us. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. See, Paul is, is, is saying it again. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. So don't ask him to. If it would be sin for him, don't pressure him to. Don't make fun of him because he doesn't think he's supposed to. Still verse 20, or rather verse 21, it's good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Second appearance of our word, stumbles. We'll finish our chapter, we'll circle back. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. We don't have to change. We know what the Bible says. We know what's true. Paul is not telling us, hey, forget everything that the Bible teaches. Forget everything you knew about Christian liberty. In fact, no, he's saying remember it and live like it. Eat, drink, act like the, 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 the Christian that you are. No longer under the law, but under grace. Do it when it's you and God. Do it when it's you and other mature believers. Do it when you're not going to hurt anyone or confuse anyone. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But the rest of the time, Paul says, consider our company. Respect the people around us. Don't ask them, don't expect them to do something that in their weakness they're convinced is sin. He who doubts is condemned if he eats and, 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 and make allowance for that because he doesn't eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. Don't stumble your weaker brother or sister. It's not the first time we've heard Paul talk about this, is it? A year, maybe two years ago now, we were in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. A couple years before that, we were in Galatians. Galatians 5, 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all that the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, 
the 13th and 14th. It's a consistent theme for Paul, right? It's a consistent message. He keeps coming back to this idea. Love one another. Don't cause one another to stumble. But, but for all our study and all of Paul's explanation and exposition, I think we're still hung up on this word stumble. I'm still not sure that that word means what we think it means. People are sensitive, you might have noticed. Not all of us, not none of us. Many of us. Touchy, aren't we? Maybe a little critical. But not Christians, you know. <laughs> Especially Christians. Which is weird because we're the ones who know this world is passing. We know it's all going to burn. Why are we sometimes the biggest Karens in the world? I said extra pickles, not no pickles. How does extra become none in your math? I'm not proud of it. I just like pickles. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Because we are the way we are, because we're touchy, we convince one another that we're easily stumbled and others might be stumbled and we have to be careful not to stumble over all kinds of things that aren't really matters that stumble us so much as they are things that we don't agree with or we object to or we just don't like. And that isn't what Paul is talking about. You know, it stumbles me, Patrick, that you wear jeans. It's disrespectful. And tuck your shirt in. Better yet, wear a suit. You're stumbling me. And, and, you know, I think that, that, that all of this rock and roll, hippy-dippy music that we're doing, and, and Grayson's got short hair. Women aren't supposed to have short hair. And ta did you see her tattoos? And when Hector leads worship, sometimes he wears a hat. And, 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 you know, there Patty is with her cup of water and there someone else is with their donut and their coffee. And that's, that's not how the sanctuary of God is supposed to be. Stumbling left and right. We're just a room of stumbling stumblers. And, and, and you know, I'm making light of it and I probably shouldn't because I've seen people, I've heard people, I've known people who have left churches or threatened to leave churches over exactly those issues. Saying on their way out that they were stumbled or someone else is going to be stumbled and they don't want to be a party to stumbling people. Either that or they thought that stumble was the magic word that they could invoke to get their way and and it didn't work. But see, that brings us to the important question. Where, where's the line? I mean, Paul's super clear, and, and I hope that you, you get that. If we have to choose between enjoying our liberty and loving our brother, we love our brother 11 out of 10 times. I mean, there's no, there's no confusion or ambiguity about that. And, 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 and yet, and still, if we follow that principle blindly, without discretion, without discernment, aren't we inviting manipulation? Aren't, aren't, we, aren't we, without intending to, putting the least mature members of the fellowship in charge of our decision-making? 
Because in effect, what we're doing is, 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 is handing them a veto over anything. Anything they disagree with. You know, you're stumbling me. Can't do it. Is that really what Paul is suggesting here? Is that really what Jesus wants? I don't think so. I know that's how we use the word stumble. I don't think it means what we think it means. And I don't know many pastors or commentators who think so either. Tim Keller, who, used, who recently went home to the Lord, pastor, church planner, mentor to a couple good friends of mine, points out stumble and fall, verse 21, mean more than just bothering someone. Because if that were the case, a grumpy Christian could blackmail a whole church. Some churches have Christians who are very weak and who have an enormous number of scruples. They're constantly irritated, constantly getting upset at other church members who are offending their standards. And that's wrong, he goes on to say. The strong shouldn't have to refrain from anything that upsets, I'm sorry, from everything that might upset anyone else. If, if they did, Kent Hughes, another favorite author, says this. If they did, those with the most disordered personalities would dominate every church. But that brings us back to the question, where's the line? If we're not giving cranky people veto power, then what is Paul saying? When, when do we refrain from exercising liberty out of love because Paul's made it abundantly clear that is the call of God on our lives an awful lot of the time. But when do we instead respectfully disagree and say, I hear what you're saying, but I've got a different conviction. I get where you're coming from, but I don't see it the same way. When do we work hard not to stumble our brothers and sisters on the one hand? When do we say, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to let you manipulate me or intimidate me on the other? Well, first thing we should probably do is define the word. If it doesn't mean what we think it means, what does it mean? The Greek is scandalon. It's the word from which we get scandal. And it literally means to cause someone to trip or fall. And that's what Paul says in verse 13. He says, don't trip your weaker brother. Don't push him and make him fall. Verse 15, don't hurt him, don't grieve him. Verse 16, don't tear him down or destroy him. So what does that tell us, that, that definition? It tells us five things, maybe six things. The first... Number one, if you're taking notes. When we talk about stumbling, we're not talking about something accidental. If you're taking notes right, not accidental. Paul is saying, don't stick your foot out and trip someone because you think it's funny or you think they'll learn humility from it. Don't play games. Back to the men's breakfast example. Don't try to get someone to eat bacon. Don't surround them by guys eating bacon. Don't hand them potatoes and then tell them afterwards, I, I fried them in bacon grease. See, you're eating bacon. Now, that's, that's, like, that's like tripping someone and then saying, why are you so clumsy? That's like sticking out your foot and when someone trips, you need to watch where you're going. 
What Paul is saying when he says don't stumble people, he's saying don't be a bully. Stumbling's got a connotation of a deliberate challenge to someone's conviction. It's not accidental. It's something that we do on purpose. It, and, 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 and maybe it was accidental the first time, but if we, we kept going because we thought it was... No. Stumbling someone, it's, it's not accidental. It's intentional. Here's the second thing. Stumble scandal on... This doesn't refer to a casual disagreement. Number one was not accidental. Number two, not casual. On the contrary, we're talking, something, uh, talking about something that has the, the potential to shipwreck someone's faith, to jeopardize their whole walk with God. We know, we know that that's what it means because Paul uses the exact same word in 1 Corinthians 1.23 when he says the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. What did he mean? It challenged everything they thought they knew. It turned their belief system inside out and upside down. Stumbling, stumble, scandal on this is not a word that we use for a casual disagreement. It's something that is threatening a paradigm shift. That's where we get the phrase scandal of grace. We sing that song sometimes. Because the grace of Jesus Christ changes everything. Am I right? We can't say, not, not accurately, you know, I've been coming here for 10 years, but when you put that Christmas tree in the foyer, that really stumbled me. Be because that's, I'm really sure that, that it didn't. Because if you've been walking with the Lord at least 10 years, that's not going to change how you view salvation and Jesus and church. The, the only way issues like jeans and hairstyles and tattoos and Christmas trees has anything to do with what Paul is talking about is he's saying to us, don't let it be an issue for someone who really does have an issue. This brings us to point number three. Stumble the way that Paul is talking about it by definition is over something disputable. Not accidental not casual, disputable. Things that are disputable are things that aren't worth mature believers rolling around in the mud over. Things that aren't disputable? Yeah, we go, we go to the wall for those. The cross was a stumbling block to the Jews? Good! is Paul's message. Let the gospel challenge them. Let the cross of Jesus Christ confront them. Let the gospel of grace wreck everything they think they know. Let grace be a scandal. But stuff that isn't the gospel, that doesn't have anything directly to do with the gospel, if it's going to wreck someone, let it go. If it's going to wreck someone, let it work itself out. There's stuff that good and godly people get to disagree about. And Paul would agree with that. Paul says so. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, We know now in part. We know part of what there is to know. 
about God and our relationship with God. We know part of what there is to know. We don't know everything there is to know. And we know that we don't know everything there is to know. What we know is the stuff we put in creeds, is the stuff that we say is essential to orthodoxy, is the stuff that shows up in every statement of faith of every church you'd ever want to belong to. The Bible is the inerrant word of God, the virgin birth, Jesus' sacrificial death, atoning for sin, a literal hell, the second coming. If stuff on that list stumbles, let it stumble. That's not what Paul is talking about. If the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, fully God and fully man, willingly went to the cross and died so that my sins could be forgiven, that Jesus went to the cross as a man so that he could bleed, so that his blood could cover my sin, went to the cross as God so that his blood would be sufficient for everyone's sin, if that causes someone's world to come crashing down, praise God, it's the best thing that could ever happen. If that's the zip code that we're in, Paul tells us, yeah, Romans 14 doesn't apply. The opposite applies. If we're talking about the gospel, speak the truth in love, but you got to speak and let the chips fall. Still bullet point number three, Paul's not telling us to worry about stumbling someone with the gospel. He is not here or ever or anywhere saying, don't share Jesus with someone who might be offended. No, the gospel offends. And it needs to. It needs to turn our world upside down. That's how our souls are saved. Now, point number three, Paul is saying, don't stumble, don't risk the faith of someone who's, who's just just beginning to believe the gospel over something less than the gospel. Something disputable. So point number four. We've talked about what stumbling is or isn't. We've talked about what should be a stumbling block and what shouldn't. Point number four, we've got to ask, who is it that we're concerned with? Who is it that we're talking to? Two, what's their level of maturity? Because, because that's going to tell us what happens next. Number four, question of stumbling, it's personal. Not accidental, not casual. We're talking about stuff that's disputable, and we're talking it, about it in a way that's personal, that's individual. And, 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 and you, don't, you, can, you can get there just looking at two simple things. Verse 22, on the one hand, Paul says, don't make a big hairy deal out of food and drink and secondary issues. On the other hand, Galatians 2.11, Paul makes a big hairy deal out of food and drink and secondary issues. The difference is Galatians 2.11, he's talking to Peter, who's decided to go back to eating kosher who's decided to keep Jewish dietary laws again. What does that tell us? It tells us there was a different standard for Peter. There's one category of people, Paul says, just, just let it go. It'll work out. There's another category of people, apparently, that Paul says, no, you need to talk to them. And this makes sense. Is it a double standard? Yeah, but Paul's whole premise is that he's concerned with people who are weak. He's not worried about stubborn, opinionated peers with a different perspective. 
Chapter 14 is about those who are weak, weak in the faith, weak in their understanding, who think if they, if they do certain things, God will like them more. And if they don't do certain things, God will like them more. Or if they do certain things, God will like them less. And if they don't do certain things, God will like them less. The reality is God already loves us best. Right now, right here, if you're in Christ, God loves you best. Nothing can change that. Does the person that we're concerned about stumbling know that? The person that we look at and say, well, that, that's, that's a fussy, legalistic objection. That's not liberty. Are they aware of that? Or are they so immature, they're so in bondage to works righteousness that pushing back on this point might shipwreck their faith. Because that's a possibility. The other possibility is they're a mature believer who doesn't need to have this disregarded or, or overlooked. They need a reminder. They need a wake-up call. Maybe they need a, a, a loving rebuke. Doesn't mean we get angry or loud, or smug, or condescending. We, we read in Galatians, Paul says that he withstood Peter to his face. Doesn't say he raised his voice. Doesn't say he got insulting or condescending. Just said he didn't back down. And we shouldn't back down from mature believers. Dealing with immature believers, yeah, there's a time to hold our tongues. Mature believers... There's a time to speak the truth in love. If, if Paul doesn't speak the truth in love to Peter, he's not loving Peter. Not accidental, not casual. Disputable, personal, fifth point. Everything that we're talking about, hopefully, is provisional. Provisional as in not permanent. Provisional as in temporary. Because the immaturity that's in view hopefully is a curable condition. It's hopefully something that's temporary and over time and with discipleship is correctable. Paul expects it to be. Reading what Paul says elsewhere, again and again he, he conveys, he expects us as believers to keep growing to grow in faith, to grow in knowledge, to grow in Christ-likeness. Places like 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he talks about our faith growing exceedingly. Corinthians 1.10, he expects that we will increase in knowledge abundantly. Ephesians 4.15, we'll grow into the image of Christ, we'll grow into maturity. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Corinthians Sorry, Colossians 1.10, Ephesians 4.15. The, the point with all of it being, we're not supposed to stand still as believers. And, and, and in fact, we won't. As believers, we're always doing one of two things, growing and moving forward or sliding back. And part of the function of the body of Christ is to help the weaker parts, the weaker vessels, move forward. Paul uses the analogy of a body, a physical body, right? What happens when we hurt a body part? When, when something is broken or injured, we protect it. We defend it. We compensate for it. We make allowance to let it heal and grow strong. When a member of the body of Christ 
is weak, what do we do? What we sometimes do and shouldn't do is tear them down further. Oh, you hurt your wrist? Time to amputate. I mean, sadly, that's the body of Christ a lot of times. It's been said the body of Christ is the only group that arranges its firing squads in circles. But if we use Paul's analogy, how do we treat the weaker member? We surround it, we teach it, we strengthen it, we build it up. And that might mean that as a body, we slow down for a while. Different analogy, World War II, convoys bringing supplies and munitions to Europe could only go as fast as the slowest boat. Why? They needed to stay close together so that the destroyers escorting them could protect them. If everyone moved at their own speed and they got spread out, the destroyers couldn't cover that much real estate and the enemy would attack. Follow the analogy. We might need to slow down so that we move together, protecting, defending, teaching, building, so we don't lose a member of our family, a vessel in our fleet, to an attack of the enemy. And, and a lot of times, a lot of times, the way that we help someone grow strong isn't by focusing on the area of weakness. Because you've had this happen where you push on someone and they push back. Because it's weak, because they feel vulnerable, they reflexively defend. And I push back and they push back and I push harder and they push harder. And then all of a sudden it's everything that Paul is talking about. No, what does every doctor, every physical therapist you've ever been to tell you about how to treat a wounded part, a wounded organ don't use it rest it not at first don't 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 dive right into to lifting and rehabbing it don't push it if it hurts when you do that don't do that be weak for a while and so too when someone is tangled up in knots when they're twisted up over secondary things don't push the part of the body where it's inflamed Talk about Jesus. Talk about grace. Talk about adoption. Talk about identity. If we do that and we build up the whole person, if we build up the whole body, stuff like food and drink and dress and tats and hats and those sources of inflammation will resolve themselves. Now that doesn't mean that the boat that's out in the middle of the Atlantic just drifting aimlessly gets to drag us down. The boat that's, that's willingly out there refusing to be refueled, refusing to let its engines be repaired, the boat that's wanting to stay stuck eventually has to, has to either get towed or left behind. Switching metaphors, you know, you, you, you go to string up Christmas tree lights, assuming that you're not stumbled by Christmas trees, and, 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 and one bulb is out and, and, and the whole string is out. See, we can't let the person, the one person who's willfully weak, who's proudly 
ignorant and unwaveringly unteachable crash the church. <laughs> Keep us stuck. That's not Paul's intention for us. That's not God's will for us. But hopefully, as we keep talking about things that are true, it won't be that person's will for us either. Patrick, I'm looking at my watch. You got five points. Haven't heard the formula yet. Yeah, how about that? Because it's not that kind of thing. Like so many other things in the Christian life, th there isn't a black or white here. There isn't an algorithm. There isn't an equation. The way to think like God in matters of stumbling is to pray to God and ask God, this person in front of me, this person that you've, you've, you've intersected their life with my life, show me how to love them. Show me how to love her. Show me how to love here. Show me how to love now. The good news is we've come up with some things to pray about around this issue of stumbling. We understand now that, that the stumbling that Paul talks about isn't accidental. The stumbling that Paul is talking isn't casual disagreement. This is shipwrecking faith kinds of stuff. Stumbling the way that we're talking about here is around things that are disputable. If it's the gospel or gospel adjacent, go for it. Go stumble, people. And whether we need to be concerned about stumbling someone or we need to be speaking the truth and love to someone, that's an individual thing. That's personal. And even when stumbling is an issue, we hope that it's temporary. We hope that the, the things that we need to do are provisional. They're circumstantial until they grow past the need for that, for that treatment. They learn to love Jesus, lean on Jesus, rest in their faith. I said maybe six. Let me slip one more in under the wire. One more thing on the subject. Be careful. Paul is not talking about not stumbling weaker brothers and sisters because we don't need to hear it. He doesn't come back to the subject in Galatians and Corinthians and now in Romans because it's not important. He's reminding us, reminding us to be humble. He's warning us to not be smug or proud or aloof or strong. Because the reality is the brother or sister that's sincerely susceptible to being genuinely stumbled, they think they're strong too. In fact, they think they're stronger. And the harder we push, the harder they push back. And well, we just said, we're not growing, we're not gaining, we're just grinding our gears. We're just grinding to a halt. We're just stuck everywhere we didn't want to be. Be careful. Because when Paul starts talking in terms of strong or weak, oh, our pride loves that. And that's where we're dangerous. It's the, it's the term Paul's using. But when we get too excited about being the strong ones in the conversation, that's dangerous to us, that's dangerous to the people around us, it's dangerous for the church. We need to do it. Oh, we need to be careful as we do. To not let our pride get aroused, not let our ego get activated. We need to be careful not to let self jump in the driver's seat. How do we do that?
How do we do everything Paul is inviting us to do? How do we avoid everything Paul's not wanting us to do? Knowing that we're the strong. Remember that we're also weak. And because we're weak, we need to ask questions, not make assumptions. We need to pray and not presume. And we need to ask God, God, who, who, who is this person in front of me? You know them. You made them. You know everything about them. Who is this person? What do I need to know about them? What do I need to know in order to love them? Where are they coming from? Why is this a, a hill to die on for them? What does love look like? How can I best love them right now in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We come to you in the name of love, in the name of grace, in the name of sacrifice. We come to you in the name of rest. We come to you in the name of freedom. We come to you, recipients of your mercy, sons and daughters adopted into your family. And you invite us to think like you think. Lord, help us do that. Help us see with your eyes. Show us how to love with your heart. Remind us to run away from formulas and equations, playbooks. To see souls, individuals that you died for. And to love them in your name.